everyone at the moment is like, oh, you got to have a side hustle. It's a good way to start out, but very quickly it becomes like almost failing at two things. When I completely severed the accounting connection, it was scary. Things really got good for me when I could just put 100% focus into something. Fulfillment doesn't come from the results. It comes from doing the work and enjoying the work. I think the best way to get any good at stand-up is just mm. doing it. Oh, so much of the skill is really reacting to the audience that you have and reading the room and playing to that audience specifically. You can write for decades. If you then go to a gig, it could all be shit. Fulfillment is in the work. It's almost more important to do it for the routine of it than to do it well. The biggest secret to happiness isn't, you know, doing what you love or, you know, chasing success. All that can be part of it, but it's like just being where your feet are. But it's so much easier said than done. But if you can be where your feet are and just experience each moment. Opening for Aaron Chen. That was a moment for me where I was like, oh, there's 300 people here, but I could go out there and like smash it for five minutes. It was, yeah, it was fun. All right, here we go. We're back again. Another episode um, of Life, Money and Love. Today we have one of Australia's most exciting young comedians, Surin Jayamana, on the podcast. Surin is a comedian, a writer, uh, an actor and a qualified accountant, but not a practicing one, which is a important distinction, I'm assuming. Yeah, yep. Uh, I, I've got all of the paperwork somewhere in a box that, that verifies I'm a qualified chartered Verified, accountant. qualified. I'm glad I, I, I saw that because I actually had a, a lot of questions about my tax return this year. So I thought, fuck, I better quickly think of some new questions yeah, before we get right. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but thanks for coming in. Uh, for anyone who's watching on, on YouTube, or watching along on the clips and you think, oh, this guy fucking looks familiar. He's been on, uh, appeared on over 10 TV programs on ABC, SBS, sold out shows like around the country and internationally and was a writer on um, Will, Anderson, Will Anderson's Question Everything, right? Which I That's thought right. fucking pretty cool. Um, I want to talk about all that comedy stuff for sure on your journey. But the more research I did about you, the more I realized this is a really fascinating guy. And the stuff I can't wait to get into is the big spiritual journey you've gone into exploring all of that in meditation. I'm so keen to explore all of that. It's something that I'm really passionate about and interested in. So I'm sure I'll learn a lot talking to you, but let's kind of start with the whole beginning of this comedy journey. You've been doing stand up for like 11 years now. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, probably, yeah. 11 years ago would have been when I first did gigs, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. And then I've been doing it professionally. I'd say since 20, like, 18, yeah. probably. Yeah. So yeah. My, my first question is, like, what, what drew you to stand-up comedy? And then when did you first realize, fuck, I'm actually funny? Uh, I, I think I was drawn to stand-up comedy as a kid. Like, I used to mm. always watch the uh, – I'm from Melbourne – I don't know what it's like up here, but like the comedy festival down there is huge. Yeah. And they have the gala every year. Yep. They'd televise it. And it would be like – if you didn't watch that the next day at school, you were like, you're missing out. Dude, you're... I remember I was in school watching that every single year. Yeah. I remember watching yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it was on late. Also, it would start at like nine or something mm. and my parents would make me go to bed, but I'd record it and watch yeah, it yeah, before yeah. school the yeah. next day because you, you, you had to be sharing the gags and whatever. Mm. So I loved comedy since I was young, big into like Leno and Woodley and yeah. stuff like that. But I, it just didn't seem like a thing you could do. Mm. So I never thought about it. And then I think I was at uni and saw this competition and I just decided, I think I was trying to impress yeah. a girl or something like that. <laughs> so I was like, I'll have a go. And then uh, it was it was probably pretty terrible, to be honest, but yeah. it doesn't matter. The you first time you do it, you still get that rush, yeah, and yeah. like adrenaline. And then, one, I don't know, like mm. once you get that taste, it's it's like you're chasing that original kind of high yeah. For the rest of your life type thing. Man, I can I can relate to that. Like through school, you think, oh, that's cool. But you never think, oh, this is an actual career path. 
I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I, I tried that and I'm like, fuck. And then I did acting and then I did business. Two things when I was in school, I never would have thought were real things I could have done. Yeah. At what point did you like, cause you were doing like accounting before as we all know. Um, what, what was the point that you're like, I kind of want to find a path out of this and, and move into, move into comedy. Yeah. Well, so I, my first gigs I did before I'd started working. Yeah, and when yeah. I got the job as an accountant, I uh, started working with this guy called Dilrook, Jai yeah. Singer, who yeah is very successful now yeah, and yeah. he he hadn't done comedy at that point he was into stand-up mm. and so he was real impressed when i told him i'd done a few gigs and i think i probably embellished it a little bit i was <laughs> like i was like man yeah i'm a comedian but yeah. i what the fuck i'd done like three gigs or whatever yeah, yeah. and then he when he he didn't make probation which is a story i'll let him yeah, tell you yeah, one day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh he because he was like let go from the firm yeah he was like well what am i going to do now and so he just started doing comedy and invited me to gigs and I think I got real jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like jealousy was the main motivator. It's really. a good motivator, better yeah. than most. I was like, man, I gotta I gotta I can't let this guy upstage mm. me. I'm gonna get back into comedy. And so I started doing gigs and the more gigs I did, the harder I found it to kind of be a good accountant. Yeah, yeah. And so like I, I probably lived a dual life for a few years there, yeah. like three or four years. Yeah, I can relate. When I was when I was working like in corporate and acting or then towards the later half of working in corporate and um, starting my own business, I was the shittest employee, man. <laughs> and I remember the day um, I – because I was at, like just doing like sales for some fucking boring company. Sorry to anyone listening from there. Anyway, um, – <laughs> And they were all really supportive. And I remember the day I actually launched, I got caught into a meeting by like two of my bosses and then like, they pull out my contract. They're like, oh, you realize you can't own a directorship of any other business. It's a conflict of interest. And I'm like, whoa, guys, for a start, you knew about this and it was all sweet. The day I launched, it's a problem. But I'm like, nah, trust me. I'm going to be working hard. My focus here is like, when I'm here, I'm here. Fuck, biggest lie I've ever told. But I quit two weeks later. So that that's, didn't end up being too big of an issue. Um, it's hard, man, because mm. everyone, everyone at, the moment is like, oh, you got to have a side hustle. Yeah. That's yeah. the big, that's the lingo. Mm. Or, and I, I feel like, I don't know, you. it's a good way to start out, but very quickly it becomes like you're just sort of almost failing at two things instead of one. And I I don't know, in hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I feel like things really got good for me when I could just put 100% focus into something. Well, that's the thing. Like I only think you need to have a side hustle if you hate what the main thing is you're doing right now, but the goal should always be as soon as you can to get to be able to do that full time. There was a quote um, that I saw of, you, of yours that I really liked and it was actually, if I can write it down here, where is it? Fulfillment doesn't come from the results. It comes from doing the work and enjoying the work. That When you have that mindset, when that shift happened for you, what did that do for your like internal level of happiness? It was huge. I mean, that that's jumping forward a bit, a lot to actually when I realized that. I think during COVID, mm. comedy didn't happen. Yeah, there yeah. Were, you couldn't go out and do live shows. And up to that point leading up to COVID, I was like very – I just sort of started to focus on comedy full time. Yeah. And all I was obsessed oh, with like – Oh, so you got into that right before the COVID. Yeah, probably around 2018 I'd say yeah, was when yeah. I – let go of all mm. accounting work and I was like, okay, I'm just going to see how this goes. Yeah. So I had two years yeah. and they were going fine, but I wasn't making yeah. like it. You could see the bank balance. I could see my ex-colleagues yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting promotions and stuff. And I was like, fuck, maybe I've made a huge mistake. Yeah. And then you'd also – it was impossible. I don't know what it's like in acting mm. or, or probably even in business, but you're constantly comparing yourself oh, to everyone yeah. else around you. And I think – 
when you get into that mindset, it's so easy to be negative and so easy to beat on yourself. Yeah. And so I, yeah, for, until COVID, I was like very obsessed with where I thought I should be. And like there were people who were uh, worse than me who I thought were doing better. And I was like, what's going on there? But then there are people who are better than me who aren't mm. doing as well. I'm like, what the, f it's all, yeah. none of it makes sense. And then because of COVID, I stopped doing stand up for a year. Mm. And when I first got back on stage, I'd let go of all of that expectation. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, I, this is, it's exciting to be doing this again. And yeah. I instantly remembered the only reason I do it is because it's fun. Yeah. And like you've got to try to hang on to that the whole That's time. That's the best reason to it. We'll get into that whole spiritual yeah. journey and how that happened later. But I just thought that fucking makes so much sense to me as well. Because whenever you're doing something and you're always focusing on the result or what, what, you, what you're doing it for, you, everything like the the joy of the journey gets lost. Yeah, and you you're not present while you're doing yes, it because yeah. you your mind's thinking yeah. about something yeah. else. And you're in so, your head. Yeah, yeah. That day that you decided to to um, step away from accounting was it a scary day? Was it a really exciting day? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't just jump off at the deep end. I did sort of <laughs> wade into the water. I yeah. went like part time yep. for a while. Smart. Uh, I think the smartest thing I ever did was when I was at uh, I was at like KPMG, one of the mm. accounting it's firms, KPMG, and I. Yeah, <laughs> but I. Uh, like well, they had a really good training program yeah. and I became good friends with the guy who ran the training yeah. program and I was like, oh, maybe I could be a trainer instead of yeah. doing the client stuff. And so that freed up a bit of time for me because I like, I, I think, I don't know, it was a bit of a cop out, yeah. but I, but it gave me a way to be still earning a good salary, but with a job where I could like, mm. I'm not, Dealing with the crazy hours yeah. of accounting yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. That's that's always my advice to people too. Like obviously not everyone's in a position where they can just, you know, have six to 12 months where they don't have to work and focus on that. But what I always try and get people to do when they're like, they hate what they're doing and they have this really crazy passion they want to follow is, yeah, you might be earning a hundred, $110,000 a year right now when you're unhappy. That's great. And they feel like they don't want to move backwards from that. But actually, why don't you just take a job that like put a budget together, take a job that you can pay your bare essentials to get by. And then you'll have so much more time and energy to go after that. There's no point. Otherwise, you're just going to end up regretting, yeah. you know, staying in that job fucking that you hated. Yeah. You get stuck in a routine yeah. and, and it's not like the time just disappears yeah. when you're in that routine. Yeah. But I, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't jump off, but I sort of eased my way mm. into doing more comedy. But when I completely severed the accounting, <laughs> it was scary because because, like, you get used to a, a yeah. lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You get used to a level. And also I'd been with my partner for, like, five years or so yeah. at that point, probably longer. And so together we got used to a lifestyle. And mm. now it's like you're taking someone else along for yeah. this dive. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I don't know. Do you think it was harder for you in the sense that, like, when most people do it, like they kind of go into it with this naivety, but you were like a accountant for KPMG. You understand money and budgets and stuff and you realize the sacrifice you're making. Yeah, totally. Everyone always is like, oh, you must have planned really well. <laughs> but I think I was partly in denial as well. Yeah. If I plan, if I was too rational about it, I wouldn't, you have, wouldn't done have done it. it you know, you've got to have a bit of self-delusion yeah. to kind yeah. of push you along. Yeah. yeah. So that day you decide, you know what, I'm going to actually give this a crack. What does it look like? What's the process like as a comedian in Australia, stand-up comic starting out? Like what do you do first? Like do you do it to your friends, open mic nights? What's the process? Open mic like? nights. I think the best way to get any good at stand-up is just mm. doing it. Yeah. Like it's 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 kind of a weird type of uh, – I mean I, I don't know if it is an art form, but it's a kind of weird well, yeah, type of for thing because sure, yeah. like 
uh, like music, you go to a school and you mm. learn how to play music. Or if you don't do that way, at least you have inspiration that you can pra- and you practice in isolation until yeah. you get good. And then you go perform and like, or any kind of, most things are like that. Whereas comedy is like the only way you know it's any good is vibing off a crowd. And so you could, you could write for decades. Yeah. If you then go to a gig, it could all be shit. You know have, what I mean? Have you had those days where either you think this set's going to kill and it fucking doesn't or vice versa, you think this is pretty weak material, I'm just going to test it out and it kills? Yeah, I've had, that was last night. Like, <laughs> it happens all the time and, it, and it's so unpredictable. Sometimes yeah. you'll have a joke yeah. that you've, is bankable yeah. and you're like, man, I'll just roll this out when I need it yeah. <laughs> and even that won't work. And you're like, it's so much of it is – that's why stand up as well. Yeah. So much of the skill is is really reacting to the audience that you have mm. and reading the room and playing to that audience. Yeah, specifically. I wouldn't from the outside in. I wouldn't think that's a part of it, but it makes so much sense if you can, if you fail to adjust. That's when it kind of can yeah. really go down, right? And a, and a lot of the time, it's like they can. It's just a, a deer in the headlights kind of thing. They can sense if you. Yeah. lose any yeah. control yeah and the i think the thing that people hate the most particularly with like the smaller gigs that you mm. do most of the year like during comedy festival you do big galas or like if yeah i'm at the stage where i'm starting to support people who are doing yeah. bigger shows those are great they're like they're the dream gig and yeah. that's like the reward for all the shit you okay. do during the yeah, year. Yeah. but like during the year you're playing a lot of small venues uh um and a lot of the time it's like the worst thing anyone can think of is watching a comedian who feels uncomfortable. You know what I mean? There, right? Yeah, they. So people people would rather see a professional who they don't find funny mm. than they'd see someone struggling because it's yeah. that that like emo- yeah. they start to empathize with you. People hate public speaking. They're like, yeah, this guy's, yeah. yeah. So the moment you lose any control, they kind of they the crowd will seize up. That makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. And the energy in the rooms. Just, I've seen a lot of comedy. Like whenever I travel, I always try and see a couple comedy shows in like even around the world. Like I was in London for two weeks. I reckon I saw like five comedy shows. Oh, amazing. And, like, yeah, four plays. So like good. it's so, that's why I, I actually, me and Mel are going to go over to, to London probably sometime at the end of the year for a couple of weeks just because I love the arts, man. And yeah. being able to experience that. You're talking about the shows. Um, do you find it easier to play like one of those big shows, like hundreds of people versus like a smaller room with 30, 40, 50? Yeah, I do now. I think it's like you, I mean, it's that confidence thing. I'm, mm. I've done stand up for 11 years now. It's like going out to those, every time you get to a new level, it feels mm. like you're doing a new thing, but you have yeah. to kind of just let that, Yeah, that's just your mind kind of trying to yeah, get yeah. in the way. But like their skills are pretty much the same mm. and it's, it's actually easier to play a big room because yeah. the the audience is they become a homogenous audience and they just go with yeah. they 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 they're no longer self conscious or whatever. Whereas in a smaller room, everyone's like aware that there's only like <laughs> yeah. fifty other people there or whatever, yeah. and everyone's like, if I laugh at that, are people mm. thinking judging me for laughing at that or whatever? But in a big like hundred yeah. two hundred. 800 seater or whatever. To be honest, I think I can relate to that person. Like I'm one of the, I like to sit right at the front. Like if I'm going to go to a show, like I want to be a little bit involved. Like oh, yeah, I yeah, can, yeah. I, so I love that. I've never really been it, but just thinking when I go to big shows at the end more, it's like everyone does laugh that little bit ha- harder because like it's dark it's and contagious, lights, are, but you man. can't, everyone just like yeah. gets amongst it. It's contagious. The lights are all mm. like you're in the dark properly. Do you yeah. have a, do you have a, sorry, do you have a highlight of like any of the gigs you've done for, for your career so far? Oh, Anything stand uh, out? 
I definitely have a few lowlights, but I, <laughs> I reckon highlight uh, probably I did some gigs earlier this year in Adelaide yeah. for um, opening for Aaron Chen while yeah. he was doing the Fringe Festival there. And they were in a tent. In a um, tent? In Adelaide okay. at like 9.30 on a Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. And that, so it was pretty fucking rowdy. Yeah, but yeah. they were they were really fun. I was nervous to do those shows because mm. it's his crowd and I thought he would have a very specific kind of crowd. I was just – I wasn't sure how it would go. a little bit in your head about it before yeah, you started? Yeah. But they went, they went really well mm. and that was, that was a moment for me where I was like, oh, man, I, this crowd doesn't know who I am. Yeah. There's 300 people here, but I could go out there and mm. like smash it for five yeah. minutes. It was, yeah, it was fun. Speaking of um, some of those lowlights, I heard a story about you that uh, one time you did a, a gig on a boat to like 150 uh, childcare workers yeah, or something like that. This is, uh, did you hear it from the from, <laughs> from the horse's mouth? Because that was, yeah, I hope not. I would hate to have any actual feedback from the people involved. <laughs> no, in this is from my uh, inside source. Okay. Close yeah. to you. I won't reveal my sources. Yeah, fair though. enough. I, uh, yeah, that, I would count this. You, when you do comedy, one of the key interview questions that always mm. comes up is like, tell us about a horror gig. That <laughs> yeah, you yeah. And when, uh, while I was doing this gig, I literally in my head, I was like, well, at least I've got an answer for that <laughs> now. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, so during the, I don't know when this happened, but ages ago I got a random email. I think I had a, I had an hour that was, broadcast on the ABC yeah. and this guy had seen it and he loved it. And yeah. So he emailed me out of the blue and he's like, my son's wedding is coming up. Can you write my, my speech? Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is, I'm like, how much do you love your son? <laughs> yeah. You're just hiring a comedian. That you, anyway. So he, so he's like some rich dude mm. and he, uh, his son's getting married, but he gets real nervous public speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And he loved the comedy special I had. So he's just like, this guy would be mm. perfect for it. Which I, I don't know. I don't know this family from a bar of soap, you know. But I did it, and I went round, and I sort of helped coach him mm. deliver the speech. And then he he loved. He said it went amazingly. Yeah. I I have no idea what he actually mm. said on the day because he was a, he's a like fun crazy guy. I'm sure he took the jokes and butchered him or whatever yeah. happened. He had fun. He had fun, and he maybe I just helped him feel confident yeah, enough to yeah. do it. So he, that was a great experience for him. And he owns this company of like childcare, mm. uh, like, yeah, uh, services. But all of the, all of his employees are women and they're all like 20. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, during the lockdown, they're obviously essential workers. They've had a tough year and then they have their end of uh, year party yeah. and, and he's booked out this boat on Darling Harbour. And he's like, why don't you come do stand up on yeah. the boat? And I think I'd, I'd, he brought me along to some other thing before, mm. and so I and I'd done it, and it went well. But they, but I, they were, I don't know if they were investors rather than the staff. It was a very different demographic. Yeah, yeah. It was on land, and it, and so that was my. It's a it's a, it's a uh, spanner in the works when you're on the sea. You don't know what's going to happen. Exactly, and, and you're trapped there, man. Like <laughs> yeah, I, you can't run. So I go. I'm. And that's what I was expecting. I was like, yeah, this will be fine. It's just, I've done it before. It'll be easy. Yeah. And then I rocked up, and I get on the boat. And the first thing they do is they're walking around with like cocktails and stuff. Yeah. And these girls, they're 20 years old. They've been working through the hardest year of their lives and they haven't, like this is their first chance to really let loose. And so they're just going, they take into these cocktails like <laughs> it's fucking, I don't know, crack. You know, they're, they're really having a great time. They're going crazy. The DJ starts pumping the stuff. And, and I'm immediately sitting there looking at this going like I, this uh, this is, 
why they're not going to want to watch comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like I'm a sitting duck. I'm yeah. about to be just you got to calm them down. Like you got to calm them down. Usually got to get warm them up, but they're already fucking yeah. Rowdy. I mean they they want to party. They yeah. don't want to sit here and listen to me tell like stupid jokes. Anyway, so uh, so then after they like about an hour in, they've already boozed up a bit. They they get like a told to basically go down to the um, the downstairs bit where there's like food being served and they didn't even want to do that. You know what I mean? They're like, why let food get in the way of a good time? Exactly. So they're reluctantly shuffled down into the dining hall and we go down there, people start eating and I'm like, okay, well, I guess now they're a bit settled. Yeah. Maybe this will be all right. And then one of the waiters is walking down the, uh, the like the little kind of in between bit where the stage would, it's not even really, it's just like a mess, the whole thing. But he, he drops a plate and then his manager comes over and starts yelling at him. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And the guy who booked me, he gets up to get involved. But then it, very quickly it turns out that they that was staged. They were actually break dancers. They weren't waiters. Oh, and they, they start break dancing, which I love because uh, NASA, who's the guy who booked yeah. me, he booked him as well. Yeah, he booked him as well. But he just forgot that they were waiters. <laughs> like, he forgot they were the break dancers. So he was going to go interrupt this. Anyway, they start breakdancing. It turns out they're these, like, hot young Indonesian dudes and they start taking their shirts off and stuff. And the girls are just going wild. Loving it. And as soon as they finish their breakdance, uh, NASA's like, okay, well, you can <laughs> please clap for Saran. Yeah. yeah. I literally uh, – I think I riffed my opening line. I was like uh, – I was like, I can't believe they let you guys around kids. And they loved that. Yeah. And then I had nothing else prepared about them. And yeah, I went yeah. into my material and just bombed for 20 minutes. It wasn't the right minutes. crowd? No. Uh, the worst bit, at the end of the gig, I'm you're on a boat. You know what I mean? Normally at a normally on like a corporate gig, I would slink out. And so out. fast. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I, there's, I can't swim, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> at least not that far. So, yeah, I was stuck there. Oh, fuck. What do, you, do, you, do you ever struggle with like – I'm sure it's just part of the process for actors, comedians, whatever – after you have like one of your not so good nights, does it knock your confidence around for a couple of days? Like maybe in the earlier days, but not so much later on. Or I think, um, yeah, it's like this. This gig was just so funny. I was just texting everyone, yeah, I knew yeah. and I was like hiding. I, I hid in the male bathrooms for a bit because there was like they're all women on the plane. I mean, on the boat, they're not going to mm. come in here. But then there was the last act with like these cabaret dancers. So they got them and, back up. Well, they they were given permission to use the male bathroom as as like their changing rooms, mm -hmm. and so then I they came in there saw me hiding in there. It was a bit depressing. Yeah, yeah. But normally, I think you. It depends what the gig is. Like, there's some gigs you get so in your head because you think this gig is going to mm -hmm. transform your career. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't do – like I've had a few gigs in the past where like a big agent is in the crowd yeah. and they've just gone horribly. And I'm like, it always happens that way. Mm. But in hindsight, I reckon it always happens that way because you're psyching yourself oh, out. Oh, for you sure, what yeah. I mean? What uh, about yeah. for TV? Like when you're doing one of the appearances on TV, do you get more nervous for that or stand up? Um, I think everything you – every time you do something for the first time it's, is yeah. the hardest. Yeah. Uh, TV, they're pretty fun. I think mm. they, they try to, like, they get you in in advance and they try to relax you and loosen yeah. you up because the whole thing is, like, they they only get one shot at it, you know yeah. what I mean? But I my process, the process that I find for me works best is trying just not to, to distract myself yeah, and, yeah. and not think about what I'm about to do but just, like, 
yeah, try whatever distraction I can. Meditating helps, mm. or um, or just like, yeah. Oftentimes, I'll just try to like banter with the other people yeah. and just try to like forget that Stay I'm about loose. to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for comedians coming up in Australia, kind of what's the goal? Like, for example, actors have like, na- like well, had neighbors to aim for. Yeah, or home yeah, and away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is there something, is there like a set path to go after or is it always so individual? Because there's no rules, right? No, for- not at all. And I think the internet is like, has given, has opened up avenues for people because yeah. now it's like you kind of have to, Think of it as you're just going to build your own audience on yeah, online yeah. kind of thing. There used to be you'd try to get like breakfast radio was the ultimate goal because mm. that's the the payload. Like if you get yeah. that job and you work in breakfast radio for three years, that's probably your career. You know what <laughs> you're I mean? done, yeah. But like uh, and TV, there, there aren't that many TV yeah. opportunities really. Like yeah. uh, some people would pivot into acting or some people would maybe get gigs where they're like, regulars on some of the panel shows but other than that there's yeah. not a whole lot because you started doing a little bit of acting as well now last couple yeah of years, right? almost by accident mm. i don't mind it like yeah. i i don't know yeah i'd like to do more but i think my skill set is more in the writing kind yeah. of yeah but I, I fluked my way into the mcu so that's well like cool. i've really Fuck, yeah that's man, cool. i'm in the latest thor oh you know that's I mean? it yeah well is it out yeah that's cool how'd that yeah. happen i i think i was in a sketch and these yeah. With uh, Freudy and Nip, who are these yeah. two uh, comedians that are on the feed a lot, and they they agent would have submitted the ske- a bunch of their sketches to try to get them work, mm. and then I think they they were just like, oh, who's that guy? Who's that Let's guy? get him to audition. Because I've watched I've watched some of the, uh, like the skits and stuff you've done, and like as someone who spent like probably five six years really deep in acting. Like one of the biggest things about acting, like I watched you and like I believed it. I didn't see you were acting yeah. at all. Like you're just in that situation. So yeah. I'm like, like, and that's one of the best things is to not be able to tell someone's acting. So I think, fuck, man, that could, who knows what can help come from that in the future. Yeah, that's cool. I, I never know because I, because yeah. comedy and acting are like so adjacent, but so different mm. mindset, yeah. I feel like acting. Most of the actors I know are very confident people and they have to believe that they're the one. Like you have to audition for something. You've yeah, got to believe. Yeah. Whereas comedians often see themselves as like on the outside looking in mm. and it's a totally different kind of sensibility. Yeah, yeah. So I I have no awareness of whether or not I'm, yeah. I'm doing a good job when I'm acting. I'm, I'm quite needy. I'm like, can you tell, tell me? Is me this some, all right? Yeah. yeah. But but the Thor thing was crazy and I, I mean I was only in it for three seconds but mm. that people – People, you baby, exactly. I didn't have an idea. I didn't have any idea how big it would be to people. I'm mm. like, I've when I had an hour on the ABC, no, was nobody like... fucking watched it. You know what <laughs> I mean? And then I was in a my car ad, and people are sending yeah. me texts. And, and then, you're like a life coach for some bank sides. And yeah, shit, yeah. Like all these, random... but people don't give a shit. Yeah, but the yeah. MCU, they're like, man, you've that, made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to have last one more question about comedy before we move into the the spiritual journey you've gone on. Um, like a lot of your jokes, again, not all, but a lot of the jokes that you kind of do are around like ethnicity and stuff. Is that kind of, do you find that you've lent into that because it just works for your style and it's so funny or is there that, but also some sort of a duality of like, maybe like hinting towards a big issue or. Uh, I, for me, it's like a pendulum that Mm. kind of swings. I think like when I first started talking about it, it was, I, when I started doing comedy, people were like, you got to talk about how you're brown, yeah. but they meant it in a like um, 
here come the Habibs kind of way. Oh, or like yeah, it's yeah. like do the stereotypes, do your mum's accent kind of thing. Yeah. That's what people want to see. And so I, I tried – I was like I don't want to do that at all. So mm. I tried as hard as I could to not do yeah, that. Yeah. And I – and then I felt like I just was didn't have a point of view. Yeah. And so then when I tried to tried to start talking from my experience, that just mm. naturally colours the experience that yeah. you have grown up here. And so I I found that resonated. Yeah. And and then I was like, I'd go through phases where I'm like, oh man, I've got a bit of a pulpit here because I'm I have an audience. Mm. I should use this responsibly. Yeah. So then I would try to work like a bit of politics into it yeah exactly and then i'd be like i'd swing to be like man these people just want to they're like trying to have a friday night where they just want to be entertained they probably had a babysitter organized you know yeah. this is their one night out don't like bang them over the head so the, it, yeah. it's like swinging between that yeah kinda, yeah, yeah. I, I understand but also fuck it's funny as fuck anyway so it's not like it's yeah. it's, it's it's not doing that but the reason i ask as well did you have or do you get any sort of negative responses or people that try and like it makes them feel uncomfortable so they project that onto you depends where you gig like yeah. i i i think um yeah the, it, some of the more regional gigs you do yeah. they and I, sometimes i would just be getting in my own head about it yeah, i yeah. admit that but like you can go to a regional gig and they just won't really engage with it because yeah. it's not an issue that they've thought about or it's not mm. things that they've kind of been introduced to and they think mm. you're being overly sensitive or whatever or yeah yeah there's there are certain keywords that people will um hear and they'll just have their own preconceptions yeah and yeah, they'll yeah. like freeze up and yeah well, we had um this guy on the podcast maybe a couple of months ago named Ahmed Imam like extremely successful um like entrepreneur and like public speaker and stuff but he shared this story and it kind of opened my eyes to what reality is in, in Australia still these days. Like the story was, it's from, from many years ago, but the story he told was uh, <clears throat> essentially he was like this, like high up in sales. He was applying for like sales manager jobs that were very jobs. Sorry. That were very, um, matched to his skill set level. Right. And he sent his resume to 20 or 30 recruiters and he heard nothing back and he was talking to his mates about it. And they just said, Oh, like, what if it's your name? So he's like, oh, no, surely not. But anyway, they're like, they're talking. He's like, I'll give it a try. He changed his re just the name on his resume, left everything else, else the same from Ahmed Imam to uh, Adam Smith. And he sent it. And the next day he got four calls back saying, we love your resume. We'd love to have you in. And he shared that story. And he wasn't talking. He said very clearly, I'm not saying this is racism or even discrimination. It's just this, whether it's conscious or an unconscious bias that exists in Australia yeah. and around the world. And, and I completely agreed with that. And I, it was, it was good for people like myself to hear be like, yeah, like it, this shit does exist. But what surprised me, we put that out on tick, like that clip on TikTok and Instagram, and it went pretty much viral on both platforms. And there was like 75 to 80% of people that are like, yeah, that it's sad. We've got a lot of work to do, blah, blah, blah. And that was my point of view. And that's kind of what I thought it would be. But there was that 20, 25, 30% of people that be like, yeah, what do you expect, bro? Like, this is Australia. Like you come here, like it's like that in any other country. And it just blew my mind how openly people felt like they could kind of side on the side of discrimination in Australia. Yeah. I was just, yeah. Have you had any like, not again, I don't like it's discrimination, racism is very strong words, but do you feel like maybe you've experienced any subconscious or conscious biases like in your career? Um, I think the, the latter, the like conscious stuff, 
online or whatever. Not yeah. not really. I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't, I'm also quite sheltered because I live in the inner west of Sydney. Oh, that's the best place to be. Yeah. yeah. And I like it. My whole circle is like super progressive. Yeah. I find myself like recently I've had a few funny, I don't know if they're funny, but I've had moments where I'm like, uh, I'll tell this story. I don't know if this is, maybe I'll ask you to cut it out later. But yeah, I, I, but I, I was in Melbourne and I went to this store. They sell, it's called Clothing the Gap and they yeah. sell um, like indigenous mm-hmm. made kind of uh, streetwear and stuff. And they, it's a really great brand. But I found myself in there kind of being like tripping over. My, I, for, I forgot that Melbourne also is called Nam. Yeah. And then I, then I, when they said Nam to me, I was like, about to say Sydney and I didn't know what the name for Sydney was. And so yeah. I just stumbled over. And then in my head I was like, oh, this is must this must be what it feels to be a white guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like just try, trying to do the right thing but not knowing sometimes what the right thing it's, is to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. And I often have been on the other side of that mm. where I'm like the person's trying to do that to me and I'm, yeah. I'm never judgmental yeah, of them yeah. but I'm like, oh, I, I can see them squirming a little. Yeah. It, was, I, I, it was the first time I was squirming yeah. and, I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is what white people feel like. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I've, ne- I've been lucky I haven't had a lot of yeah. direct discrimination. Yeah. As to the unconscious stuff, I, I don't like to think about it because yeah, it, yeah. it can – you easily could use it as an excuse kind of mm. thing. But I'm sure I – yeah. What, if we'd had a few beers, I'm sure I'd have a different answer. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. So when I get drunk, I start to rail Everything against the out, world. Yeah. But, but I think – I don't know. I think it would be impossible not to. I think mm. the comedy industry is so small. Yeah. There's already three accountants <laughs> who are Sri Lankan yeah. who now do comedy. You know what I mean? It's not that niche anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that niche. And so – I. There must, there is from a business perspective, yeah. a perspective of like, mm. if we're going to rep someone, then yeah. like they have to be different to what we're already offering type thing. Mm. I feel that must have come up at, yeah. at some times, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm so, I'm so grateful where I grew up. I grew up in Western Sydney, which is like very multicultural. My school was like all my, I was like, there was like two Aussies in my whole friendship group. Everyone else was from everywhere around the world. So I was extremely grateful to be able to experience so much multiculturalism through school my whole life. And I see other people that maybe didn't get to experience that. And even me finding myself is like, the reason we put out like that clip was not to make anyone feel bad for what they're doing. It's like for the people, there's going to be people that are all the way on the left, all the way on the right, that have their minds made up already. They hear a certain word like, this is what, but it's like those people in the middle who maybe subconsciously because of the way that they were brought up or their parents, whatever, have these subconscious biases and just speaking about it, not judging anyone for it can be enough to spark someone to think about it. Fuck, where am I doing this in my life? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why I think these sorts of conversations can be important at times, but to anyone listening to this, we're not fucking trying to call anyone out. Yeah, totally. saying you're a dickhead, you know what I mean? But yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. And I think that's where I, on that pendulum I was talking about of trying to make a point versus just trying to entertain. (laughs) So I think, what I have tried to find the balance between is like poking fun at mm. poking fun at the awkwardness of the situation yeah. enough that people will think about it. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing. exactly. Because yeah. it is – it's a tough t- – like I kind of agree with the sentiment that it's Australia and it's like it's everything – progress just takes time. Mm. But it's also – when I'm talking to people who are on the – on the like uh, – the worst end of the stick. Mm. Obviously you have to be able to listen to them and empathize with them as well and be like, 
Man, it sucks. That, yeah. that so you can see it from both perspectives, exactly. kind of thing. For but, sure. Yeah. All right. Now it was, um, I believe, sometime or was it around the lockdown COVID situation where you started to go get a little bit more introspective and start thinking about purpose and being and all that. Was that kind of bring me walk me through that process? For yeah, you? Uh, I sort of had like, um, a, I mean, my my upbringing was Catholic. Yeah. So I was always a, around religion as a kid. But I kind of drifted away from it as you do in Australia. It's well, like same a as secular, me. I was yeah. like like Catholic baptized and stuff, and then yeah, yeah. There's no. I mean, the whole society is is kind of set up around making you either a consumer or like a. It's like it's all about. We've moved away from yeah, that yeah. spiritual yeah. So, so I was like uh, not very spiritually inclined mm. as a kid, but always had enough of her exposure to it that it was sort of the seeds were yeah. there. And um, before COVID, I had gone to Malaysia. My mum's family are from there and, uh, it, and they're Hindu. Yeah. And I never really had any exposure to Hinduism. But I had uh, an experience there which was like very kind of intense. Mm. Um my uh, my uncle passed away very suddenly. No one in the family expected it. Yeah. I, he was sick. I got the call from my mum saying she's going over because they're not sure how long he has. And I I bought a flight over to help support her. And by the time I landed, he'd gone kind mm, of thing. Wow. And so I basically got on the plane and when I landed and arrived in Malaysia, immediately I was thrust into this whole like very intense a very spiritual kind of experience where it was like a Hindu funeral is all very much built around rituals and rites. And I think a lot of it is designed to kind of help prepare the deceased soul to pass on to the next whatever. But obviously that's – obviously there's practical reasons for it all as well. It's it's really to help the people left behind to grieve. So yeah. a lot of it to do is to do with like preparing the body – washing the body, that kind of thing. And like uh, supposedly you that is because you're trying to help the soul coax the yeah, soul on. Yeah. But you, there's no way that you could say that this is actually really just designed to help the people who are there yeah. to realise that that body is, is not the person that they exactly. loved. It's like th- that's just the body. And that whole experience culminated in a, a – probably I would say the most intense thing I've ever experienced, which was going to the cremation. And then after the cremation, they bring out the ashes. Mm. And when they cremate a body, like the, there's still chunks of of stuff in there. Mm. So it's like bone and – sorry, this is hectic. No, but, yeah. But like so the the final part of the ritual for the family is to like take – to separate the ashes – from the wow. from the like the whatever the bigger yeah, chunks are, yeah, and then wow. they, and then I think it goes through for a second cremation. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's kind of like you know yeah. when you're like trying to run th- something through a sieve, <laughs> <laughs> But it but so I that I was not expecting that. Yeah, I, I can't. You didn't speak. know what you're getting yourself in for. Yeah, I don't speak Tamil, so yeah. a lot of it was just sort of uh, as it was happening, unfolding. Mm. I was watching it and trying to follow along what the person in front of me was doing. And because you don't know what they're saying, you might be blowing it up even like it's more grand in your head, right? Yeah, you totally. don't really understand. What's... You you get the sentiment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is often like the that's the most important thing, exactly. right? But so, 
so yeah, that whole experience was like very surreal and very, uh, for me, it really uh, was the first time I'd ever thought about how the body is just mm-hmm. like a, a, a vessel kind of thing and like, and not inherent to who we are or what we are. And, and I'd never really have been exposed to that kind just of didn't idea. didn't have those thoughts, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not something I think we think about a lot in no. the West. Um, so after that experience, uh, the, this is a little aside, but my, there was, cause the cremation place, Malaysia has got like a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Indian and Chinese being two of the bigger ones. Yeah. And the cremation place also did these Buddhist, uh, mm. there, there was like a Chinese family next to us. And as we were going in, their family were doing the same thing. But my cousin who's Malaysian was like, oh, I bet you, because in India, in Malaysia, like the Indians eat with their hands. Yeah. And so we were picking the bones out with our hands. And she said, oh, I bet you they'll do it with chopsticks. And mm-hmm. I thought she was just yeah, joking. But yeah. then I looked across and they were literally picking out the bones with chopsticks. Why is that? Did you know like the meaning of that? And no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I did not expect her to actually be right. But it, anyway, so we, um, so yeah, that whole thing got me fascinated with mm. the rituals of a Hindu funeral. And I was like, well, I want to understand what I witnessed. And so when I got back home, I started researching it. And that was just a little bit of a gateway to kind of Hinduism for me. Yeah. Which then a year later when COVID hit, I I sort of... Um, had already been exposed to that and I just – it just seemed like the right – it just seemed like a thing that I was – Yeah. You know, there's well, nothing we else to do. We so at that time reflective and like, you know, reassessing what's important and stuff. So it would have been a massive draw. And then plus on top of that, we all had fucking nothing to do. Yeah, exactly. So, a lot of time to kill. So yeah, what was your what was your process? Because I, I know you researched a few different like branches of Hinduism before you found the one that you've been like yeah researching the most and delving into. It's pretty embarrassing. I think my first, I think I the research I did was mostly on YouTube to begin yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, research everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the that's the best way to get a like a quick overview yeah. of things, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you can drill down yourself. But yeah, I, I found this guy on YouTube who was like this guru guy. Yeah. And he had really well-packaged videos. It's all marketing, man. Yeah. But he, he had really well-packaged videos. And I think he even had a video where he broke down yeah. what all of the rituals are in a Hindu funeral. Yeah. And so that probably was the first thing I clicked on. Yeah. And then from there, I just naturally started watching more and more of his videos. Mm. And I, I, I remember getting quite, like, sucked into the whole – sucked in is the wrong word, but, like, I was, I was there with him and the – each video, the more kind of uh, extreme and advanced it got, the more I was ready to listen to it. Yeah. And even there was one point where he was talking about how there's aliens in like Mount Kailash, which is in the Himalayas. Yeah. And I was watching that being like, well, man, there's, there's aliens. Yeah. Like- and then the next video was like he was saying that for your health, you shouldn't eat garlic or eggplant. And uh, I was like, what? this guy's a fraud, man. Yeah. This guy, I was like Googling, is Sakuru a fraud? So I could believe aliens, but I, the jumping off point was, <laughs> was like, garlic. Still, yeah, don't take away my garlic, man. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've watched heaps of his stuff as well, man. So now I might have to re- rethink about <laughs> how I follow him, but maybe I'll have to reevaluate some of my uh, – but I think like because like you said, he's like the Hollywood version of 
Totally. You know, Hinduism. And like, elite, like for me, it's, it's drawn me into it because I think like a lot of the values and principles of, of Hinduism and what he speaks about is so beneficial. Like, especially for someone like me who's interested in like exploring spirituality and more so personal development, like on a personal level yeah. exploring that. So, yeah. I think that's, I think the thing with what I've come to realize is because there's uh, all those, there's a lot of stories of these guys uh, gurus and yeah. spiritual leaders who who go down the wrong path and they end up abusing the kind of yeah. or they they'll start a cult kind of thing. Like that Netflix doco. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, uh, whatever that was yeah, called, yeah. that Osho. Is his yeah, name or yeah, something. Is it something? Country is in the name. Yes, yeah, sweet wild wild country. Yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah. yeah. Wild, yeah something That's like that. a fascinating story, but mm. I I feel like a lot of I, I feel like it, you know you've got to take from it. The good stuff for you, because yeah. like you can't. It's almost like separating the art from the artist type thing. Yeah, you're not judging them for their actions. Mm. Like mm. you're trying to see whether any of the message they have helps exactly. you be a better person type thing. And I, I think that's important because, like, again, no one is going to be right about everything, and not like every not every word that comes out of every like, every person's mouth is going to resonate with you. But it's like I feel like it's up to like the personal individual responsibility to. Be adult enough if you can to identify the things like no garlic and eggplant is probably <laughs> bullshit, you know, yeah, like, yeah, certain yeah. things like that and take the things of value because there's no rules. Obviously there's rules in religions, but to me, like with exploring spirituality, there should be no rules. It should be whatever, like if something is good and can serve you for, for a good purpose, then, then, you know, they dive into it. If something's making you feel bad or guilty about certain things. Then who gives a fuck? Exactly. Because, you know I, mean? I mean, the purpose, a lot of the purpose of spirituality is actually to make you examine what those feelings are mm. and to, like, the more inwards you look, the more you can kind of uh, recognize a feeling and then see mm. and then and analyze it and, and understand whether or not it is helpful. Yeah. So in a way, I guess you, there is an argument that a guru who um, is – Stepping over the line, yeah. maybe he's a booze head, and maybe he's like sleeping with too many people. Yeah. If he's making you feel something, yeah, the question is not what he's doing; it's like exactly. how, how are you processing what you feel? So, if I was to ask you, what what does like Hinduism mean to you, or what does it stand for to you? Um, I guess I still like that's a great question because I I don't really identify as a Hindu. Yeah. And I don't – I think there's a lot of like the mythology of Hinduism yeah. that I am interested in but I don't know and I haven't yeah. like read scripture and that kind of thing and I don't like worship to any of the Hindu gods yeah, type yeah. thing. But I do think that like a, a lot of the um, – well, the Bhagavad Gita, which is the mm. one of the principal texts of Hinduism, that's the book that I have – sort of started to read and yeah Yeah, yeah. and that and i feel like that book is like the setup of it is it's one particular moment in this Mm. great epic tale of these two families that go to war and kind of thing but the actual uh book itself is just like a conversation that happened on the battlefield and so i i think it's like when they wrote it they would have been like this is a way to take all of this spiritual teachings yeah. and put it into a story that people can then like yeah because sometimes all of this stuff is so ethereal and like unless you spend time thinking about it when people say it could a lot of the stuff 
a lot of the advice that is given yeah. is something that you could just read on a wall in an Airbnb. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like pop art in Airbnbs. Yeah. And so you read it, it all sounds so cliche. Yeah. But if you if it's contextualized in a certain way and then it makes you think about yeah. it and you get to beyond the superficial, it, it mm. often has so much uh, impact. But it's feel. like what, what you said, I don't identify necessarily as a Hindu. And I think a lot of the time when people want to like pigeonhole themselves or identify certain things, I feel like that's when kind of it can get a little bit messy. And like for me, like if I'm talking about prince, like I'm not, I'm not religious at all. I don't identify as religious. I'm spiritual. Yes. But like I'm spiritual in my own sense of like, I just want to explore my connection to the universe and soul. If like, I, I believe there's a soul, but do I, but I don't really understand what it is or what it means or what was before, what was after. But for me, what makes me feel good is that feeling like there's some sort of thing that's bigger than me than this life right now. So probably if I was to look into like Hinduism and Buddhism, I'd probably be a lot more closely aligned with them than like Catholicism, you know what I mean? But why identify and pigeonhole yourself into something so tight, like to play by somebody else's rules who'd live yeah, totally. Years ago or whatever. I agree because I think the minute you start pigeonholing mm. or identifying as a certain thing, mm. you start closing off other doors. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. So you—that's where you start to narrow your focus. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. Um, and talk to me about the like the role meditation has has played in your journey and kind of what meditation's been able to give to you in your personal life. Yeah. So the first time I started meditating, I was it was a Satguru. Um, yeah mantra that he or a guided meditation from him and I just tried to do it every day for 30 days I think that was his he was like if you do this every day for six months or something it will it will change your life kind of and how was <laughs> yeah. it for you the 30 days and I, the th I don't think I made it to six months but yeah. I but it, it was enough of a like clickbait type thing yeah, that yeah. I was like I should just at least make the effort and what I realized was it's those uh, like starting anything is so difficult. It's almost more important to do it for the routine of it mm. than to do it well. Yeah. And like, especially a thing like meditating, cause you, your mind automatically when you start doing it is going everywhere yeah, and yeah. it's constantly telling you that this is a waste of time and that you're doing it wrong yeah, that's and me. that you're a fuckwit, you know, like that's the three yeah. things on repeat in your Dude, mind. I sit there and I'm like, what am I fucking doing? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially in this uh, time and society yeah. where it's like we have so much to do and we should be, and every moment of rest feels like a waste, but it, it's like what you said about, uh, you could do the job that you hate and earn the money mm. or you can save the energy by finding something that that's yeah. a bit of a step down. But yeah. that time that you save and that energy that yeah. you save is going to reap rewards like and tenfold. What, what was it for you at the start? Were you like, same as me, I'm sure you at the start, you in your head, what am I doing? I'm, I'm yeah. thinking, oh yeah. And then you'll feel like you, you do quiet your thoughts for 10 seconds. I'm like sick. I just quiet. I'm like, oh, now I'm back in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, a, is it normal for it to be a battle when people start meditating before it, like, is it just practice and repetition? That I th that's so the 30 days thing for me was about building routine yeah, and like committing a time and a place and just honoring that. Yeah. And then, uh, not what it helped me do was not be judgmental about how it was going. Yeah. Cause that's part of, that's, that's part of the goal of meditation yeah. as well is to like, to to just sit there and and witness what's going on, yeah. But 
and not get carried away with the thoughts. And so the routine actually kind of forces you to not be judgmental because mm. you're like you allow yourself to whatever happens, even if I you're don't think I'm doing here, well, yeah. I've committed to this routine. Yeah, yeah. And then it became easier. And it only it, it did only take me 30 days. Yeah. And once I broke it, I thought it would be like starting again. Yeah. But I could come back to it like a week later yeah. and it was sort of a lot easier to just get back to that place. And how often of, do you meditate now? Uh, probably not as often as I – it goes in waves. Like I'll uh, try to meditate every day when I wake up. Yeah. But I'll, I'll miss it for like yeah. a week or something. And then – and. I heard a, you was, there was a quote you were speaking about of someone much wiser than us, I'm sure. Um, but it was essentially like, I've, I've got it here. Um, if I can find it, where is it? Too many notes. <laughs> it's something like we are not our body, we are not our mind. Yeah, so that that was actually the um, the, the Satguru oh, that guided was, meditation. Yeah, that, was, yeah. Is, that was the thing that... Because most meditation is just trying to get you to give you something to focus on so that whenever your mind uh, wanders, you have a point to bring you back. And so that was the, the mantra that Satguru gave. Uh, it was basically, yeah, I'm not the body on the uh, yeah. breath in and on the breath out, I'm not the mind. And for ages I was just saying it because he said to yeah. say it and I didn't really know what it meant. meant yeah. Um, I mean, I could definitely identify with the fact that we're not the body because, as I said, I'd seen – I'd picked up the bones and, like, I'd seen the body go into the crema, crema, cremation, crematorium, yeah. and then come out as ash and, like, it's like ashes to ashes, dust to dust or whatever. And I know that that wasn't – my uncle wasn't there at yeah. that point when that happened, you know. Yeah. So it's I was very comfortable with the idea that we're not the body. Yeah. But I was just saying – I'm not the mind because he told me to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, in my head I was like, I'm definitely the mind. Like what yeah. does that mean? Um, and But through meditation and it's now been about three, three and a bit years since I really started. Mm. Um, well, since I started that process and probably about a year since I feel like or now when yeah. I meditate I do it properly. There's There's two thoughts that – I've had him over my life that absolutely blow my mind. And one of them is the first time I, I don't know if I heard or if I thought um, that you are not your thoughts. And it's like, yeah, I probably heard it many times, but the first time I actually got it for a second, I'm like, whoa, like that's, like I can understand it for a second, but it's so fleeting to really understand what that means. And then like always trying to chase a deeper understanding of what that, like I want to experience that. Do you feel like through deep meditation you've been able to get to periods where you truly feel disconnected from that? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. So um, the – and I it's a weird one because I don't know how much of it is like just because of what I've learnt through um, – after Sakuru I then ended up listening to like this podcast during COVID. Yeah, yeah. I got into a podcast where it was basically commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. And it was like lectures, this – this Swami in India, uh, in America, and he would break down each of the verses in the book and mm. like explain it. And it gets into the kind of the deep philosophy of yep. Hinduism. And so I think, I don't know whether it's because I'd absorbed all that, that when I was meditating, that stuff was kind of coming out and, and pointing the way to yeah. uh, understand it better. But it's like the Hindus 
and I think probably the ancient Greeks did this too. Mm. Like uh, we, we like I don't even know how anything works. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't know how a TV works or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just because we have TVs mm. and, and cameras and shit, we're like we're the most advanced people that ever lived. <laughs> Who knows? But man. I don't know anything. Man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't explain anything yeah. to you. But these guys were fucking smart, you know. And so they it they basically break down. We think of the mind as one thing, mm. and so like they they have different words to describe different parts of the mind. Yeah. So there's like the memory, yeah. there's the um, intellect, there's the ego kind of thing, and they they're basically um, what they what basically they're saying is that like the ego creates this identification mm. with the so the thoughts that the ego kind of put out. I think they're always trying to stop you from getting beyond that. Okay, yeah. Because it's like that's the role of the ego is to help you survive and stuff yes. like that. But it also needs to it needs to have identification with something. Like sometimes I um I'm very lucky just from, you know, whatever like situation when I was growing up and then through high school, like my family life and then schooling life, like I've always had and particularly it's only strengthened over the last five years even more, like a lot of self-belief and in like inner self-belief and self-confidence and I never doubt myself. And I've been thinking a lot over the last probably 12, 18 months, I'd love to speak to a therapist, not to necessarily work through anything, but I just really want to understand myself better and why I do certain things and what makes me tick. But then part of me is scared is like, no, I'm fucking really happy. What if I go and I speak to a therapist and unravel all this shit and I'm just this fragile <laughs> oh, yeah. being, so I'm scared. I don't know, should I do it? It'd be an amazing experience. But also this ego, and I know it's ego that not not I don't say ego in a bad way, but whatever this is, I've built my in in a like ways of working is actually protecting me from so much. And I know it all. Yeah, all of these things are protection mechanisms that you develop along the way, right? So I think the and and also when we talk about ego in like popular culture and stuff, it's like the it's like we're often talking about people who have a big ego mm -hmm. or whatever but but the ego could be either way it's yeah. just it's just the ego is just the thing the part of the thought that identifies the you with the body and, yeah. and the mind you know but like i guess the to come back to that quote about fulfillment is in the work mm. like a lot of the time i think you're happiest when you're not having that thought of I, this is me doing a thing. Yep. You know what I mean? When yep. you're just in a thing yeah. doing it, yeah. you're without any sense of uh, like awareness that, that you're doing it, you're just you're yeah. just purely focused on the action of doing the thing. That's when you're happiest. That's the that's the biggest trick to hap happiness. For, for me anyway, from my experience, but I'm sure a lot of people can relate. I was actually talking to my to my mate. Um, Peter from Kung Fu about this last week is saying it, the biggest secret to happiness isn't, you know, you know, doing what you love or, you know, chasing success, all that can be part of it. But it's like just being where your feet are. Yeah. Like if you can really be present, like if, if you're, if I'm at training and I'm thinking about at training in this moment, I'm happy. If I'm at work and I'm thinking about work, I'm happy. If I'm hanging out yeah. with Mel and I'm, yeah, if, but it's so much easier said than done. But if you can be where your feet are and just experience each moment. And I think that's, that's, what meditation is about. That's yeah. what it's helping you to achieve. And that's where I'd say it took me three years to get there. Yeah. But I'm way more, uh, I'm closer to there than I ever have been. Yeah. And I'm at the point where I'm catching when I'm not there more. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm not always there, but I can catch it when yeah. I'm not. And I, I guess that's to me ego, what, the way that I have come to understand it and I would describe it is it's, Anything, whenever you're aware of 
you yourself, you're usually it's usually a desire or a fear that's 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 pushing that. So, uh, for instance, like whatever you engage with in the world, you have like a thought mm-hmm. about it. But it, but the thought is kind of like an overlay over the actual experience. You know what I mean? And so those moments where you're feeling your feet or you're in the thing, you're just having the experience. Yeah. And that's why it is like the the pure joy or yeah. that's when you're happiest. And the ego then comes over to be like, oh, what about the line? You forgot to pick up milk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or it's, So it's the, the thing that pulls you out of the present moment is that it's usually a desire exactly. or a fear that yeah. and I, I'm I'm I try I definitely try and meditate it's part of my routine I wouldn't say I'm great at meditating because naturally I'm such like a, a, a busy driven person I do get that you know fuck I could be doing so many other things but I think if I just commit to like let's just say a month I'm going to put aside amount of time and I'm whether I do it well or do it bad I'm here for half an hour so I may as well just enjoy it so I think that will help me um visualization, visualization, something I've used a lot, but do you think for meditation, like that journey you've gone on is it's so deeply personal for, for everyone. Right. But is there any, like, like from, again, and you're not a guru and I'm not saying that, but do you have any advice for someone just starting out that's, you know, trying to get to, I wouldn't say like, you're obviously not at enlightenment, but to, you know, how you get to that place more often than not. Yeah. I, the, Visualization is a funny one because I only discovered this recently, but I mm. don't have um, a mind's eye kind of thing. Oh, There's a yeah. term for it. I I've seen remember. this years ago. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never knew because yeah, you yeah. don't know until someone mm. else. So whenever I went to like a yoga class or whatever and at the end they are doing that, you know, yeah, yeah. sleeping bit at the end. Yeah. I just assumed no one was actually picturing a beach, you know what I mean? Oh, I, interesting. Because for me it was just You know no different though, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I, I would have to think of the word. Mm-hmm. But part of me thinks maybe that helped me with my meditation journey because I could go to a blank space mm. quicker than yeah, most yeah. people would. Like a, I don't think in images. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. when once I was able to s- quieten the thoughts, all that was left was – Blankness, and then uh, that's uh, like you say. It's a, maybe the yeah. longest I've done that is a minute yeah. at a time. Yeah, but but yeah. So the like I can't. I don't know if people can visualize stuff. They use it as a technique to kind of yeah. achieve what their goals yeah. are. But I I could never like visualize me performing at the Sydney Opera House. I'd have to go there yeah. on a Sunday when there's nothing on and be like, and <laughs> yeah. sneak in and then that's how I'd visualize yeah, it. that's you know so I mean? interesting for me. Like I go into like hour-long deep visualization exercises and to me it's like I'm there. Like I say, it's like I'm time traveling. So for me that's been such an amazing tool. But that gives me a lot but it gives me different things to what I can if I was to be able to just be – it's really just be persistent enough and patient enough with myself – to explore meditation and maybe for me because I'm actually such a highly wired person and I think so much it may take a little bit longer but yeah that's what it takes I think I think routine is the best advice I could give because it is as I was saying like if if you commit to the time to do it then when then you give yourself the um excuse to be not judgmental like the freedom yeah yeah yeah, exactly because you force yourself even you you allow yourself to fail, yeah, and that you redefined what success yeah, is. Success yeah. now is just sitting Doing there and right. committing to it. So yeah, I have a question based on all this. I mean, I'm not sure what your answer will be, but 
what do you think, what would you say your relationship to God is or the idea of God, you as an individual? Um, I mean, obviously as a kid I was raised Catholic and so I did believe in a God and I've yeah. always been uncomfortable with the way, like, I almost think like atheism or like that Richard Dawkins mm, brand of stuff, yeah. which is, which I felt kind of, unco- it was weird it's as a kid as well, like, going to Catholic school. Yeah. I was the only kid that went to church. And so there were all these other Catholic kids, that, Catholic, but they didn't go to church yeah. or whatever. And I was like, why do I feel weird to go to church mm. when I'm at a Catholic school? But I, and I, very quickly I felt weird that I believed in God and no one else did yeah. kind of thing. And now I think that like a lot of that Richard Dawkins stuff, that's almost become a religion in itself, you know, the way it that has. people are so adamant. It has. So for a long time I was like, well, I don't know if there is a God. I don't necessarily believe in one because there's so much bad shit in the world but also i don't it's uh, who am i to say there isn't one you know yeah and so i think up until uh i started getting into meditation and hinduism that's where i Mm. sat i was like i just don't know yeah and i'm happy to entertain either yeah and now i kind of think that um uh like yeah, I mean that question of if we're if we're not our thoughts, mm. who are we? Kind of thing. Mm. I think the the well, the thing that I've gotten from meditation is that like I can just walk the dog, and I'll see like a tree, yeah. and I just look at the tree, and and I'm like there in that moment, and I'm like have appreciation for. I think there's little moments where I'm just like, oh, the other day the, I just saw like the wind blow through the grass mm. and it feels so wanky to say, but yeah. just seeing the way that the, the uh, like grass kind of rippled, yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, I saw an ibis standing in a puddle. It was like a muddy puddle, <laughs> yeah. but the, sh- the sun was reflecting and it was like shining on the ibis. Good old bin chickens. Yeah. And I was like, anyone else would see this bin chicken and like be like, this is fucking disgusting. <laughs> but I was like, well, that's God. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I feel like that's what those moments where you're just present yeah. is that's what God is, I think. For, for me, it's it's always been changing too. Like, as I said, like I was like, I wouldn't say my, my parents weren't super religious at all, but my grand, my grandparents were. My nan was a, like a Catholic scripture teacher. So I was like baptized and all that. And I definitely would say I believed in God as in the more traditional sense of the word God um, or the Catholic sense of the word God until probably like 13, 14 and then slowly drifted away from that. And then probably for the last, whatever, since the last like 13, 14 years of my life, I haven't really, I didn't really think about it for too much. And then over the last five to six years, I was kind of like, oh, I believe in something. I, I would never have said I was like an atheist like that. It just, there's too much unknown. For me, there was always something and a connection to something else and something greater and that we're all connected. And for a long time, and I, and I still do, I'd say a connection to the universe and energy. And I don't understand, but, but that's what it is for me. And then just recently, probably in the last six months, I'm thinking me saying, oh, my connection to the universe rather than, than God, whatever that may mean, is that just my ego talking? Because I don't want to admit like to that there is a greater power or some other greater God. And like I've had these experiences and I just think, fuck, everything is so interconnected and perfect and then i try and that other thought that i mentioned that blows my mind is like okay what one thought that blows my mind thinking of okay what was there before there was like the big bang or there was just all this energy yeah. went into one spot but how did that get there yeah and like there's, there's no answer like I, it blows my mind. i don't understand so it's like pfft. you can't have something from nothing 
right? but yeah. so I just don't know. And I still wouldn't necessarily say there's God, but I'm more open to like potentially some form of God, not God as intrusive, but God being sometimes I feel connected to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Connect some sort of source and yeah, it's just such an interesting like journey to go on when you start trying to explore that. Yeah, totally. I think and that I mean that that question alone of like where you're not your thoughts. Mm. It's like then you then that question of well what am I yeah. type thing is I mean and that's at the heart of most a lot of Hindu yeah. meditation is that yeah. question. It that in itself is like yeah uh, yeah so mind-boggling. Uh, maybe on that note, we'll start to wrap up. Um, give everything, everyone listening, something to think about. Um, but before we wrap up, um, I'm going to come see you this weekend. Obviously, this this podcast won't be out before you at the comedy store this weekend. But for people that want to find you, first of all, where's the best place for people to find you and follow you? And then, what sort of like, where do you mainly play gigs around Sydney, Melbourne? Like, where's some of your main spots? Uh, yeah, out? so um, at Seren Comedy on Instagram yep. is probably best. Uh, that's where I post about most of the gigs that I've got coming up yeah. and put little dumb reels and content <laughs> up there as well. Uh, also on TikTok, I think it's Seren Comedy as well. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you find me on Instagram, you'll be able. We'll to have all your links in the show notes anyway. Yeah. Sick. Um, yeah so uh, and then gigs around the Sydney Fringe is coming up. That I, I don't know when this podcast will be out, but I'll be doing a show less than two weeks. So when is it? Yeah. Cool. Out? Yeah. So at the start of September, I'm doing a, oh, yeah, a split bill show cool. uh, with a couple of other comedians. Where's that at? A factory Theatre. Nice. Um, nice. In Marrickville, and the Fringe is pretty good because it's like. You're just mucking around. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's always fun to go see, like, a, uh, me, Bonnie, and Matt Stewart, who's from Melbourne. He doesn't come up to Sydney much, so it's yeah. a great opportunity. But, like, when it's people who've been doing comedy for a while and they're mucking around, it's quite fun to see. Yeah. Go, yeah, You're in safe hands, but, like, it's, it's exciting to see yeah. how it could go. Uh, and then, yeah, gigs around town. There's always a bunch of stuff in the um, – um, yeah, I'm at the comedy store pretty regularly yeah. and then uh, it's hard because my favourite venue of all time closed like during COVID. Uh, so I'm trying to think now where the – What the, was that? So was it was it? called Cafe Lounge. Um, oh. It was in Surrey Hills. It was on a Monday night. Yeah. And it was like – yeah, it was it was real fun. I think there's something about people who go watch comedy on a Monday night that is like you're a real like comedy, they're too yeah. cool to watch comedy and on their Fridays oh, okay. and Saturdays, yeah. so they're going on a Monday. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas Friday, it's like you've these are the, the people who are like, just want to go out and have a yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think where the like the kind of most off the wall yeah. space is to watch to hand it up. Um, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty lively scene. There's a lot yeah. going on, but I think the Lord Gladstone yeah. has shows once a month. They're called it's called A Cab. Yeah, cool. Uh, and uh, it's all comedians are beautiful. Not, yeah. not all, <laughs> but um, but yeah, they if you find uh, the Lord Gladstone on Instagram or, or yeah. it might even be A Cab comedy or something like that. They have really good lineups. I'm I'm usually there. Yeah. Pretty regularly. Um, yeah, that's a great place to go. Yeah, cool. Stand-up. Honestly, I'm I'm a massive fan of comedy and like just fuck, we can go out again, man. I've never had a it's bad so night good. going to comedy. Yeah. I've it's never so even, whether the comedians kill it or there's some great, some not so great, I've never had a bad night out. I think that's I, mean? I think I mean that's what I love is people who are like happy to see the train wreck. But sometimes that's that's fun. It's, it's fun. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's I'm, I'm uncomfortable for them, but it's like like 
It's yeah. just part of it. It's a human experience. Totally. And I mean, as a comedian, I've, I can definitely say the, the times I've improved and made advances in my yeah. career is through experimentation and like yeah. failing. Because <laughs> you only learn you know, through taking risks. Yeah. That's how you get better. So, yeah. Cool. All right, Siren, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to see you this weekend at the Comedy Store. So, again, thanks. Congratulations on your success so far. And we'll be watching you continue to, to prosper. So, thanks, thanks again. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All right, there we go. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, could you please do me a quick favor and hit the follow or subscribe button? I honestly appreciate it more than you know. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.